in our consideration of the moral attributes of God, we have dwelt somewhat at length on the most wonderful phase of biblical revelation, namely, the mercy and grace of God. But God has been unable to manifest his pardoning benevolence to the extent that he would like to. And thus we have been entertaining the question, what do we know about limitations imposed upon the exercise of God's loving kindness and mercy from the Bible? We have seen that the atonement of Christ was perhaps the greatest event in the world's history and removed the problems confronting God in the free pardon of sin. Nothing limits the manifestation of God's mercy now except man's unwillingness to forsake his sin and be reconciled to God. We continue reading the many passages in the Bible that insist upon man's being willing to renounce his selfishness and live in the sphere of God's love if he is to experience the merciful forgiveness of God. And thus we read from Psalm 145, 20. The Lord preserveth all them that love him, but the wicked will he destroy. Notice the contrast here between those who love him and those who do not. Then we come to the New Testament, and in Matthew 5 and verses 44 to 48, we have our blessed Lord's comment upon our attitude of love. But I say unto you, love your enemies, bless them that curse you, do good to them that hate you, and pray for them which despitefully use you and persecute you, that ye may be the children of your Father which is in heaven. For he maketh his son to rise on the evil and on the good, and sendeth rain on the just and on the unjust. For if ye love them which love you, what reward have ye? Do not even the publicans the same? And if ye salute your brethren only, what do ye even more than others? Do not even the publicans so? Be ye therefore perfect, even as your Father which is in heaven is perfect. So our blessed Lord sets forth no salvation short of this willingness to renounce our hateful and selfish attitudes toward men and a willingness to walk in the love of God and to act toward men as God does in great kindness and in great mercy. In the 10th chapter of Luke, our blessed Lord was confronted with a very dignified and cultured gentleman apparently who asked him certain questions. Verse 25, And behold, a certain lawyer stood up and tempted him, saying, Master, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? This was a good question, was it not? He said unto him, What is it written in the law? How readest thou? And he answering said, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, and with all thy soul, and with all thy strength, and with all thy mind, and thy neighbor as thyself. And he said unto him, Thou hast answered right, this do, and thou shalt live. Without having time to expound all the thoughts suggested in this passage, certainly this comes forth, that no salvation is possible apart from a willingness to love God supremely in this fashion, and to love our fellow men in a respectful way. In the fifth chapter of John, and verse 42, 
We have our Lord Jesus in the midst of controversy at those who oppose His gracious love and manifestation. And He in His great knowledge said this, But I know you, that ye have not the love of God in you. So their refusal to enter into the sphere of God's love was the reason for their rejection of the Lord Jesus Christ who was the great manifestation of the love of God. Again in chapter 8 of John and verse 42, Jesus said unto them, If God were your father, ye would love me, for I proceedeth forth and came from God. Neither came I of myself, but he sent me. And so if we are unwilling to enter into the sphere of God's love, it is impossible for us to be saved and experience the kind forgiveness and mercy of our great God. In the 15th chapter of John's Gospel, verses 9 and 10, we read, As the Father hath loved me, so have I loved you. Continue ye in my love. If ye keep my commandments, ye shall abide in my love, even as I have kept my Father's commandments, and abide in his love. So no state of salvation is possible unless we are willing to live in the great realm of God's love. And why should God require anything less? It would not be merciful and kind of God not to insist upon that state of happiness in man, that attitude in man that can only result in happiness with the great God. In the sixth verse of this 15th chapter, Jesus said, If a man abide not in me, he is cast forth as a branch and is withered. And men gather them and cast them into the fire, and they are burned. So if we abide not, we are cast forth from the presence of the great and kind loving God. In the twelfth verse of this fifteenth chapter, This is my commandment, Jesus said, that ye love one another as I have loved you. And certainly no state of salvation is possible apart from this happy state of relationship of love to God. In the fifth chapter, Romans, and verse 5, the Apostle Paul writes the great culminating fact of regeneration or the glorious salvation in our era of the grace of God. And hope maketh not ashamed, because the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost, which is given unto us. So this great and glorious sphere of love that we as Christians are to live in and apart from which there is no salvation, is a poured forth love. As a sinner truly repents of his sins and is willing to be adjusted and reconciled to God, the great Holy Spirit of God, by his wonderful gift of his presence, pours forth the abounding love of God in his soul. And surely should he want less, and indeed there is so salvation apart from this wonderful manifestation. In the 8th chapter of 1 Corinthians and verse 3, the apostle wrote, But if any man love God, the same is known of him. So apart from this willingness to have an attitude of love toward God, no salvation is possible. In the 16th chapter of 1 Corinthians, verse 22, we have a most astonishing statement. The apostle says there, if any man love not the Lord Jesus Christ, let him be anathema, 
or let him be accursed. So vital is this attitude of humble love that apart from this attitude there is no salvation but only an unhappy future in facing the righteous judgment of God. Oh, how we pray that many may awaken to this absolute necessity and that this necessity itself proceeds from the loving, merciful kindness of God. Again in the Galatian epistle, chapter 5 and verse 22, we have a reference to the work of the Holy Spirit. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance, and so forth. And so if we're not willing to have the fruit of the Spirit in His great manifestation of love, of course, we cannot be the recipients of God's merciful and kind and loving forgiveness. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 and verse 9 we read, But as touching brotherly love, ye need not that I write unto you, for ye yourselves are taught of God to love one another. So, if we're to be reconciled to God, we have to be willing to be taught of God. And being taught of God, we shall be filled with his glorious fragrance of love. In 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 and verse 10, we read about those who receive not the love of the truth, that they might be saved. And with all deceivableness of unrighteousness in them that perish, because they receive not the love of the truth, that they might be saved. Being unwilling to enter into a sphere of God's love, they must of necessity be rejected and have the terrible doom of the judgment of God upon their sins. In James chapter 2 and verse 5 we read, Hearken, my beloved brethren, hath not God chosen the poor of this world, rich in faith, and heirs of the kingdom, which he hath promised to them that love him? And so we must of necessity be willing to forsake the selfish pathway if we are going to enter into the realm of God's wonderful kingdom. In the first epistle of Peter, chapter 2 and verse 17, we have the brief admonition, love the brotherhood. And apart from this love, no relation to God or no relation to man is possible of a real happiness and a glorious state. But in the first epistle of John, we have many admonitions to this pathway of love. John was the great apostle of love, who understood the tender love of his kind Lord, perhaps better than any of the other apostles. In the second chapter and verse 5 we read, But whoso keepeth his word, in him verily is the love of God perfected. Hereby know we that we are in him. So we know that we are in him, we know that we are saved if the love of God is poured forth within our hearts, but we have to be willing to live in this glorious state of relationship. In the third chapter, verse 14, we know that we have passed from death unto life because we love the brethren. He that loveth not his brother abideth in death. Thus salvation apart from a willingness to forsake selfishness and live in a loving attitude toward God is utterly impossible, according to the great apostle of love. He said, He that loveth not abideth in death. And in the fourth chapter, verses 7 and 8, 
Beloved, let us love one another, for love is of God, and everyone that loveth is born of God and knoweth God. He that loveth not knoweth not God, for God is love. So it's impossible to have the birth of the Spirit of God apart from an attitude of love. And in verse 20, if a man say, I love God, and hateth his brother, he is a liar. For he that loveth not his brother whom he hath seen, how can he love God whom he hath not seen? And in the fifth chapter, verses 2 and 3, by this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and keep his commandments. For this is the love of God that we keep his commandments, and his commandments are not grievous. And then in the epistle of Jude, verse 21, keep yourselves in the love of God, looking for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ unto eternal life. From this array of scriptures, it is most evident that salvation apart from a state of love is impossible. Repentance is an acceptance of such a life. Until we are willing to enter and live such a life in place of the sinful life of selfishness, God's mercy is restricted toward us. Our Heavenly Father, we are so thankful to Thee that Thou dost love us so as to insist upon our forsaking sin, that we might truly receive Thy forgiveness and enter into Thy very heart and into Thy very life. How we pray that many may be wise enough to repent of sin, come to the Lord Jesus by faith, obtain the wonderful forgiveness and restoration to Thee. In Jesus' name, amen.